do it again. No, I'm not doing it again. My sunglasses are the most important piece of equipment that I have. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Oakley sunglasses. No, I'm only kidding. We're going to talk about discernment. And this idea of, of discernment, and not just discernment, but godly discernment. Okay, godly discernment is what we're going to talk about. So you have your notes in front of you here, and we just read through the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 5, and I'm going to give you a definition of discernment. Discernment is the ability to filter our thoughts, words, actions, and choices through the lens of God's word. Discernment is the ability to filter our thoughts, words, actions, and choices through the lens of God's word. In short, uh, I believe it was Mel Walker that kind of coined this phrase for Clark Summit University, but this idea to think biblically, that's the idea of discernment, is the ability to think biblically. Um, So, as we read through Nehemiah, the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 5, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about this man, Nehemiah, who is faced with a a problem here, that he's going to have to make a decision, and he's going to have to make a choice here, and he's going to have to use godly discernment in order to figure out exactly what to do in this situation. So, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, Now there arose a great outcry of the people, and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For many, uh, for there were those who said, with our sons and daughters, we are many. Let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who who have said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our field and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and vineyards. So Nehemiah kind of walks into a situation here. Remember, Nehemiah is an outsider. Okay, he has come into Jerusalem. He grew up in a palace in Susa with the king as the cupbearer. And he's basically walked into this, uh, for lack of a better term, dump. The walls are torn down. uh, There's no protection. There's kind of chaos is, is ruling here. And he kind of shows up. And he rallies the people and he says, listen, we're going to rebuild this wall together. And the people, it says, they strengthen their hands. They get excited for this. And they follow Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah not only has a letter from the king, but even more importantly, God is with Nehemiah. And the people recognize that. And they see it. And these people, they're facing opposition from the outside. There's people making fun of them. They're saying, listen, this wall's never going to work. Like, you know, if a fox jumps on it, it's going to fall down. They say we're going to hide among the trash and the rubble that is your wall. And when you're least expecting it, we're going to kill you. And Nehemiah says, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to do double duty. You guys are going to sleep in your clothes. 
I couldn't imagine sleeping in this if I had to, but you're going to sleep in your clothes. You're going to build the wall with one hand, and we're going to give you a sword or a shield to put in your other hand, and you're going to work, defend, sleep, work, defend, sleep, and that's what you're going to do. And all the people said, amen, we're going to do it. We're going to strengthen our hands, and we're going to do it. So the opposition has been coming from the outside. But now in chapter 5, we kind of switch gears. And now we have an internal problem. See, the problem was outside of the building of the wall now. Now the problem has come inside to the building of the wall. And it says that there was an outcry of the people and their wives. We see many family references in these first five verses. We see wives, we see brothers, we see sisters, we see daughters, we see children, we see brothers. This idea of family. Um, when we're studying scripture, uh, I loved uh, what, what uh, Jim Lytle said last week. I was going to call him Dr. Lytle, but I found out that we have to call him Jim in church. So uh, what Jim Lytle said last week when he started off, and he said, listen, we, we start off with what it meant to the original author, or what it meant to the original reader, and, and we kind of backtrack through the centuries to, to what it would mean to, to us today. And if we look at this from, from stepping back and looking at the story here, we see a group of people who are working hard. They're giving everything that they have. Every minute and every second that they have is devoted towards building this wall. And all of a sudden, one day, something snaps. Something snaps inside of a group of people, and they begin to cry out. And they say, listen, Nehemiah, we've got three problems. We've got three big problems here. Our first problem is that our families are too big. Sayers know all about that, right? No, our families are too big. There's not enough food to feed them. It's an issue. There's a famine in the land, and we don't have enough food. The second issue that we have is that in order to even try to find food and buy food, it's so expensive that we've mortgaged our lands. Our lands are no longer our lands. They're owned by someone else. We sold our lands to someone else for cash in order for us to be able to survive. And it's not just someone else. We sold the lands to our brothers. We'll get back to that in a second. The third problem is that the king's tax, it's too high. Now, nobody ever complains about their taxes being too high, right? No, nobody ever complains about that. Taxes are always a hot-button issue. But they're especially a hot-button issue here because the king's tax was pretty high. And they said, listen, the tax is so high that not only have we mortgaged our land, not only is there a famine in the land, but we've had to sell our sons and daughters into slavery. And some of our daughters are already in slavery. I don't have to explain to you um, what it meant to be a, a slave back then. Um, but when it makes the extra emphasis here that some of the daughters were already sold into slavery, it's basically saying that some of these daughters were sold as a payment 
before their lands as a wife or a second wife or a third wife at that, at that point in time. These people are desperate. They're overworked and they're desperate. There's no way for them to get food. And their brothers are working against them. See, this family is dysfunctional. The Old Testament is full of dysfunctional families. I mean, read, (laughs) read Genesis, okay? You read Genesis and you find dysfunctional family after dysfunctional family after dysfunctional family. At least at the outcry here, the people who have a problem still recognize that this is a family. That these are individuals that are working together to achieve a common goal. But the family is broken at this point. There's internal conflict. The result of these problems is that their land is mortgaged, they don't own anything, and that their sons and daughters are sold into slavery. So there is no hope of lineage even at that point because they don't even own their sons and daughters anymore. They're given to someone else. And here we see Nehemiah's response. Chapter 5, verse 6. I was very angry when I heard the outcry of these words. Is it a Christian thing to be angry? I think so. There's a reason Nehemiah is angry. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. There are things that we can be angry about. And Nehemiah here, he's angry. And we know that Nehemiah can be an angry guy, right? Where do we find Nehemiah? Who remembers? What is Nehemiah doing at the end of the book? Does anybody remember when, way back when, when we went through this the first time? What's he doing to people? Because they're not obeying God's word. He's fighting them in the street. He's punching them. He's pulling their hair. He's got no holds barred, okay? There is nothing unsacred with this guy. He's going to beat you up if you're not following the word of God. He is an angry person. He's also the governor. He's also the governor of the land. Listen, back then when the governor of the land came at you and wanted to fight you, guess what? You did. You tuck and covered. You didn't fight back. You weren't going to fight back. Nehemiah has a streak in him that has a righteous anger for the word of God. And by any means necessary, he wants the word of God to be glorified above all things. And when he hears this report, that the family members, that the Jewish people are taking advantage of one another, he's angry. He's hurt. He's upset. And he says something very simple at the beginning of verse 7. I took counsel with myself. Now this is a little different than what we hear of Nehemiah in the rest of Nehemiah. Because usually when Nehemiah is faced with a problem like this, we've read everywhere else in Nehemiah that it says that Nehemiah prayed to God. But Nehemiah is angry here. And he takes counsel with himself. Why does Nehemiah take counsel with himself? Well, 
Here's what I think. I think Nehemiah is angry. And I think he needs a minute to step back from the situation because he's so angry. He's going to explain to them why he's so angry in a second here. But he needs to take a step back. And he's looking at two groups of people. One group of people who are clearly disobeying the word of God. And another group of people that are upset at their situation. They're not necessarily upset that the word of God is being defamed or the people of God are being defamed or they're not afraid that these things are happening. They're upset at their situation. And Nehemiah looks at these two groups of people and he says, okay, I've got a good picture. I need to figure some stuff out. And I think what Nehemiah does is, number one, he prays. And number two, he goes to the word of God because he knows the word of God. And he knows the word of God is going to give him clarity and discernment. I think it was Dr. Phil. um, (laughs) You know, you watch these these little clips on on Facebook, but one time he had someone on on his show, and I'm not a huge Dr. Phil fan, but this was hysterical, what he said. Um, this lady was talking about the fact that she's reading all these books, trying to help herself or whatever, and Dr. Phil looked at her and he says, you're reading self-help books? And he says, she said, yeah. She said, stop. He said, you can't help yourself because yourself is stupid. That's what Nehemiah does here. He looks around and he says, oh my goodness, there's pain and then stupidity over here. I have to take a step back. Remember, Nehemiah is an outsider. The very fact that everyone is coming to him is a testimony to the fact that God is with him. That his focus is not on the glory of Nehemiah. His focus is on the glory of God. And they come to him with a problem. Remember several weeks ago when um, Pastor Stephen uh, spoke about um, you know, decision-making and things like that. And he talked about Jethro and, and Moses, and he called it the Jethro principle. I wanted to call it the what you are doing is not good uh, principle. But there's a reason that, that Moses listened to Jethro. There's a reason that the people were coming to Moses. It's because if you know the Lord, if you are familiar with God's word, then you should be attracted to people that are following God's word. And the wives and the people who are being oppressed here cry out to Nehemiah because what they see is attractive to them. What they see is an answer, a real answer to their problems. We continue on in verse 7 here. So after he was very angry, after he took counsel with himself, It says, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. These are the brothers that the wives and the families are so upset about. I said to them, you are exacting interest from, uh, exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers and uh, who Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers 
that they may be sold to us. Oh, man. So what's Nehemiah saying here? He said, listen, when I came back, we looked around. We saw that our brothers and our sisters were being sold into slavery by the other nations. So what we did was we took our money, the things that we came with, and we bought those brothers back only for you to turn around and then sell them back to us? Nehemiah's like, listen, we're building a wall. Like, we're, we're doing good things here. The, the people outside are making fun of us. They are, they are belittling us, but they're not having any success. And we're moving forward here. And you nobles and officials, you, you come along and you, you take our knees out from underneath of us. We're taking one step forward, but three steps backwards. You're working against us, and this is a huge issue. And look at their response. They were silent and could not find anything to say. Oh, how the turntables, right? Oh, how the tables have turned. Oh, how the turntables, as Michael Scott would say. Um, Everything comes crashing down on them. They realize that, oh no, we've done something wrong here. We are in a bad place. We've sinned, and they can't say anything in defense of themselves. Verse 9, and so I said, (laughs) here we go with the Jethro principle, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Ought you not to walk in the fear of God? On your notes there, you have uh, four points here. We see trust the process here. I know Jordan likes that. Um, Trust the process here. Here is the process of discernment. Here is how we get to godly discernment here. Number one, godly discernment starts with a fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 and 10, or Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is where discernment starts. If you do not have a healthy fear of the Lord, you have no idea what godly discernment is. Now, today, for those of us living here, not like Nehemiah, for us today, Jesus Christ has come. He has died on the cross. He lived a perfect life. He rose from the dead. Discernment for us comes by the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit. If you do not start there, if you do not start with the fact that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have no idea what godly discernment is. You can't even begin to make the right choice according to Scripture and according to what God's Word says. There is no fear of the Lord in you. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, it says here that it's the beginning of knowledge and understanding. When we realize how big and loving and great and awesome our God is and the power that He has, 
There is a healthy fear that it should produce in our life. And that fear out of love produces obedience to his word. But this is the very beginning. This is the very first step in understanding discernment. Fear the Lord. Nehemiah reproves them. And he says, ought you not to walk in the fear of God? What he's saying to them is, listen, you guys were trying to pad your own pockets. You guys were trying to to figure out a way to not only build this wall, not only get protection here, but also take a little money on the side as well. Shave a little bit off the top. You know, maybe one guy did it. And then maybe another guy did it. And then maybe another guy did it. And then somebody asks, one of the nobles, hey, are we supposed to be doing this? You know what the answer he gets is? Oh, everybody's doing it. Don't worry about it. This is where discernment falls apart. It's like the stop sign. We call it the, in Philly, we call it the Philly coast. Okay, you don't, you don't really stop at a stop sign. You just kind of slow down, make sure no one's coming. The car's still rolling, and you just kind of, Keep going through. Philly Coast. Nate, they going to get pulled over for that? They're going to get pulled over for it. I live on the corner of a four-way stop outside of Abington Heights High School. Okay? At 3 o'clock every day, how many people do you think stop all the way at my stop signs? Nobody. Nobody stops. And guess who gets mad? Me. I've yelled at people. I'm like, hey, it's a stop sign. Stop! And then I find a stop sign in someone else's neighborhood, and I'm just like, <laughs> hypocrite. But everybody does it. Come on, it can't be that bad. These nobles and officials, that's the lie they bought into. Everybody's doing it. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Everybody's going to win. This is a win, win, win. We're going to get our wall, we're going to get our protection, we're going to do this, we're going to make some money on the side. This is going to be great. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God? You know what? Money doesn't take care of you. Money's not going to solve the problem. Fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge and understanding, discernment. That's where... That's where Your treasure needs to be. That's where your heart needs to be in this situation. But instead, you're trying to make some money on the side. And they can't say anything. To prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending money and grain. What Nehemiah is saying here, he's saying, listen, there's people coming to our door. We see that there's no food. We see that there's no stuff. We're lending stuff out here. Nehemiah is not saying he's exacting interest on these people, but he is giving of his own things here. He's lending them out to people. They can pay him back what he is lending, but he is not making them pay more than what they are taking. These nobles and officials, though, that's what they're doing. And he says, let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, 
their olive orchards, their houses, and and the percentage of money and grain and wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. Why is this such a big issue? Why is Nehemiah harping on this? Well, it's because of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9, and I actually didn't write it down here. Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, chapter 23, verses 19 and 20. Can someone look that up for me? I did not put that in my notes here. But it's Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 and 20. Who's got it? Go ahead, Celinda. So Deuteronomy chapter 23 here tells them plainly that they're not supposed to exact interest from one another. They can do it from a foreigner. Somebody outside the family, sure. Take them for all they're worth. No, uh, you know, outside of the family, hey, it's okay. Inside the family, though, you shouldn't be doing this. The second step in the process of biblical discernment is to know the word of God. Know the word of God. Nehemiah knew the word of God here. The reason he is so upset is because what they're doing is in direct violation of the word of God. What they are doing is charging interest to their brothers. They are extorting them while these individuals are already overworked. They are heaping burdens on the people. By the way, this is nothing new. That would happen in the people of God. This is pretty much the MO. Keep heaping burdens. Keep them building. Keep adding rules. Keep doing this. Keep doing that. Keep the people oppressed. And Nehemiah says, enough. No more. This is not happening. How do we know from the New Testament that the word of God produces discernment? Well, we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and divisioning, uh, division of soul and, and the spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We keep reading in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Ooh. That's pretty strong wordage there. Uh, Because you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The second step of the process is to know the word of God. Nehemiah comes along and he says, oh, violation here. I'm angry. We need to fix it. Look at the response, verse 12. 
Then they said, we will restore all these things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Wow. No excuses. No complaining. No yeah buts. Nothing. They say, you're right. We're wrong. Let's fix it. What a great attitude. What a great attitude. Nehemiah, what he's asking these individuals to do is not easy. He's saying, listen, give everything back and take no money in return. Lose on your investment. You wanted to build the wall. You wanted to get rich. You wanted to do all of these things and it'd be a win-win-win for everyone. Well, now you lose. And they say, Okay, we lose. Wow. Nehemiah is working under the power of God. Here's our third principle here. Our third principle is that we need to realize that discernment is a gift from God. Discernment is a gift from God. We just read that the word of God is able to pierce your skin. It's able to, it's able to divide your bones. It's able to discern the thoughts of man. What Nehemiah does here is he cuts them to the quick. He convicts them of their sin. And do they respond with anger? No. They respond with humility and right judgment. This is a gift from God. Most people do not respond this way when you confront them especially people who are doing wrong. But God allows them to turn around and say, you know what, Nehemiah, you are right, and we are wrong. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40, Teach me, O Lord, the ways, and sta- uh, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Teach me in the path of your commandments, and I will delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways, Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be what? Feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Guys, this is the response. This is the response. God's word is powerful. If we bathe ourselves and meditate in his word, and we are confronted of our sin, this is the response that we have. God, teach me your statutes. Turn my ear. God, direct me in the path that you want me to go. This is discernment 101. We need to ask. We need to cry out. Just in the same way that these these wives and these families cried out to Nehemiah, we need to cry out to God. Do 
James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. The third principle is realizing that discernment is a gift from God. It does not come from human intelligence. It does not come from our own wisdom. It doesn't come from our own perception of a situation. It doesn't come from our gut. And my gut just said that's what I was supposed to do. It comes from bathing ourselves in the word of God. It comes from fearing God. It comes from realizing that the gift is from God. We continue on here in verse 12. And I called to the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, that he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Listen, this isn't, this isn't just a, a slap on the wrist here. They say the right thing. And Nehemiah says, okay, good. You've said the right thing. Here, let's get everybody together. Let's get the priests together. And we're going we're going to, we're going to, you're going to make an oath in front of everyone that you will never do this again. And if you do do this again, we're done with you. We're going to shake you out like a garment, and you, a garment and you will be fully emptied. Everything you have will be taken away from you. We will utterly cast you out of this city. You're done. And the whole assembly says, amen. Yeah. Why? Because Nehemiah is a great guy. Because he's a good person, right? Because he's smart. No. Because the word of God was defiled. And Nehemiah stood up and said, no, this is not going to happen. Not today. We are going to take a stand here. Our last point here comes in the following verses. I just want to read them to you. We're not going to break them down verse by verse. But these last verses of chapter 5 here, I don't think the assembly heard this. This is between Nehemiah and God. Moreover, verse 14, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year of the 32nd month, uh, of the uh, 32nd year, Of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people. But I did not do so because because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on the wall. And we acquired no land, 
and all of my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. And every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet, for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. Our last point here is practice. You know, in medicine, we talk about the idea that um, it's, a, it's a practice, right, Mike? It's a, it's, a, it's a practice, right? When we talk about discernment, we talk about practicing discernment. What we have here in Nehemiah is a backstory of how Nehemiah practiced discernment. And he said, listen, even though all of those governors before me they exacted a heavy, heavy tax on the people. In addition to the king's tax, I required nothing. I asked for nothing. And he doesn't say it begrudgingly here. He says it because he looked at the people and realized that their burden was heavy. He did it because he feared God. He did it because he wanted to see the name of the Lord glorified in all the nations. He didn't want to see them made fun of. He didn't want to see them sold into slavery. He didn't want to see them laid bare to the nations. He wanted to see them protected by God. See, discernment wasn't just this one choice that Nehemiah made where he said, hey, listen, this is a great idea. We're going to give everything back. I got my moment of discernment. I put my discernment hat on here. No. Siri's going to tell me about discernment. (laughs) Discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perception. Okay. Uh, She tells me everything. Look at that. Everybody's listening. Um, But it's the ability. Oh, goodness. She's got me all messed up here. Um, Anyway. Nehemiah. (laughs) Not Siri. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah realizes that he wants the people to glorify God. Not just by their actions or their thoughts here, but by the fact that they are obedient, that they fear God, that they're practicing discernment, that all of these things in the process they are keeping here. Fearing the Lord, knowing the word of God, realizing that discernment doesn't come just from man, it comes from God, and finally putting those things into practice. I'm going to leave you with one verse here, and it's from the New Testament. I think it pretty much summarizes Nehemiah's attitude towards the people. And this is my encouragement to you. Don't go with the flow. Everybody goes with the flow. Every other person that you work with, every other person who doesn't know the Lord, the way of this world is to choose the path of least resistance for 90% of America. 
We have a lot of voices that are speaking into our lives. A lot of influences that, that happen here. How do we discern which are the ones that we're to listen to and which are the ones we're not to listen to? What are the lies that we're believing? Here's what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13 through 17. And I really feel like this is the way Nehemiah lived his life. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be, an, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the arrogance of foolish people. Remember the nobles and the officials? What did they say to him? Nothing. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. And verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is what Nehemiah did. This is how we practice discernment. Consider one another better than yourselves. Love the brethren. Guys, when we're faced with difficult situations, fear God, first and foremost. Second, bathe yourself in the word of God. Third, realize that it's not of yourself that discernment comes, that it's of God. And finally, you need to do. Practice. James tells us not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Look to Nehemiah as an example. Make tough decisions. Trust the word. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray.